0: I
1: Good evening. Welcome to Legacy Battle. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and check out the Facebook group page. We want you to join that as well. Please contact us in the comments section if you want to sponsor an episode. I'm Michael Adams, the creator of Legacy Battle. Here with me tonight from the Great Iron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All Star Kevin Adams, and uh, a guest panelist today. He's a he's a former caddy, so he knows this tonight's topic pretty well. Stephen Adams. And our special guest tonight, he's considered one of the the best putters of all time. Uh, He has three putting records out there. Uh, Fewest putts in a golf tournament with 93. He set that record. He had uh, 18 for 18, which is just outstanding. Um, He's been a member of the Champions Tour, the Nationwide Tour, and of course the PGA Tour, where he has three PGA Tour wins and over two dozen top 10 finishes. And be sure to go to kennynoxgolf.com where you can purchase Kenny Knox clubs, accessories, sign up for lessons. Pretty sure I saw that on there. And uh, if you go, I found his YouTube channel, get you some golf tips, help you get rid of that slice. So uh, a lot of golf videos on there will help you uh, work out that swing and, and especially work on your putts. Ladies and gentlemen, PGA alum, Kenny Knox.
2: Hi, Michael. How are you? Thank you. Good. Thank <laughs> you. It's the for first me. applause I've had in a while.
3: <laughs>
1: well, as always, we're going to have a QA after the debate with Kenny about his career. Tonight's debate, I'm totally ready for it. I've got my Ben Hogan shirt on. So,
0: <laughs> Arnold Palmer
1: versus Jack Nicholas. Uh, just golf royalty. You can see them behind me there, of course. So, we're going to start out with, with the early years. Um, Let's start out with Arnold Palmer. Kevin, why don't you tell us a little about Arnie in the, in the, the early years there?
4: Yeah, definitely. Arnold uh, is a well-known name from where I'm from, actually where all four of our panelists are from, uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, he was uh, born in 1929 uh, over near Latrobe, uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, Palmer's father had uh, actually given golf lessons at, at, a, at the Latrobe Country Club. Um, and gave Arnold his first set of clubs uh, when he was actually three years old. Um, He learned most of his game from his father, uh, who was the greenskeeper at that country club. Palmer would later become a caddy at that same course when he turned 11. You know, when you're you're a caddy, I mean, you pick up a lot of information from players and stuff like that. Uh, As as you're going along, you learn a lot about the game. You know, Palmer soon developed his own distinctive game. He created a, a style that would last his whole playing career. Uh, he had uh, a swing, though it was ugly you know, at, at times, it wasn't your con- conventional swing, uh, but it was very powerful. Uh, he had a lot of power in his swing, his quick method of play brought him millions of fans throughout his career. Uh, his father gave him advice when he was younger, he said, "Get the grip get the right grip, hit the ball hard, go find the ball, and hit it hard again." <laughs> so he took his father's advice, definitely put it to use. Many say that he helped save golf. He, he brought it from, you know, the upper classes where, you know, golf was kind of, you know, it wasn't really the everyday man's sport. And he turned it into a spectator sport for the common man. You know, he would go on the course before and after members would arrive uh, at the La Trobe Country Club. And he would play rounds. He'd be practicing when he was a kid. Uh, he started playing the older boys at age eight. Uh, he was consistently beating them. Uh, and they were, you know, 12 years old and older. And then in high school, he began winning tournaments very easily. Uh, it wasn't even a challenge for him. In the four years uh, in high school, he only lost one, one time. He won every match except for one in high school in the four years. <clears throat> he also won three Western PA amateur titles. And in 1947, uh, he took a scholarship to Wake Forest, where he attended college, um, dominated the collegiate field also. Um, at, at one point, he did leave. Uh, thank you for his service. He joined the National uh, Coast Guard in 1950, and then he came back in 53, and he didn't lose a beat, picked up right where he left off, uh, and he actually ended up uh, winning the United States Amateur Championship in 1954, and then later that year is when he actually turned pro.
1: Yeah, and he actually, he left his senior year of college because um, his mentor actually was killed in a car crash, and and that really, uh, that really upset him. He left, he went to the Coast Guard, and he was also selling paint. At that time. He was a paint salesman to help pay for the the amateur game that he was in. Um, Steven, so you hear that about Arnie, you got some things in common with him. You were a caddy, you're also a member of the United States Coast Guard. So I mean obviously from a service standpoint we know we know what that means to, to be uh, in the military in, in America of course, but As a caddy, give us your perspective. What is he actually learning from those other golfers?
0: So some of the things I learned from golfers is, and I hate to say this, it's not always about hitting the ball as hard as you can. Um, There's a lot of finesse in the game. Uh, Another thing I've learned is if you are golfing with somebody who knows the course, course knowledge is a huge aspect for any sort of golfer out there. Um, They'll be able to give you advice as to where you should land the ball um, you know, make, make sure you don't aim for the green, aim short of it because it'll just roll right off because they're quick greens, the slope of it. Um, so, you know, le- learning things from people like that is, is huge. Um, e- even not as a caddy, just as a regular golfer. Uh, some of the things I've learned best are actually from old guys. I, I, I hate to say it, they, they go out there, they take these nice, easy swings. They put it maybe 150 yards, middle of the fairway. I'm over there trying to crank the ball, and it's two holes over. Um, and, you know, I, I look at them and go, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> um, so, yeah, th- there's plenty of things that you can learn from them. But, yeah, j- yeah, that, that's about it. And he, <clears throat> uh, it seemed to come natural for Arnold.
1: Like, he just picked it up. He's automatically good. I'm sure it's a lot harder than that <laughs> in real life. Uh, so maybe, like, walk us a little bit through what, you know, it took for you to, to just become as good as you became.
2: Well, basically, when you start out at nine years old like I did, it was uh, a whole new ball game for me. I love baseball, was my favorite sport uh, growing up. All sports were great. I had three older brothers. And so golf uh, just came pretty natural for me. We had some junior clinics uh, at the country club I was at in Columbus, Georgia, growing up. Charlie Harper was a, a really nice teacher, uh, but I really didn't get that much instruction uh, growing up, just a clinic to get me going, and then it was really much, pretty much left up to me to go out there and learn how to play golf, and the way I really learned how to play was watching, uh, watching the, my great heroes on the, on the television on Saturday and Sunday afternoons and trying to replicate their golf swings and, and learn from them on, on what, what to do and what not to do and so but I you know when most of the kids were at the swimming pool during the day I was out at the practice green chipping and putting working on my short game uh, learn how to hit barker shots learn how to hit chip shots and and different shots around the green and 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 I would play I had we had a great group of kids when I was growing up in Columbus Georgia so we had a lot of good competition which I think is very essential to learning how to compete as you get older as well Uh, I mean even at even at 12 years old, we were out there playing for nickels and quarters, and so it was uh, it was good. It was a good way to pay my way through the summer at 12 years old, you know, so I could earn enough money to buy my first car. <laughs> but no, we had we had a good time. I could buy some ice cream or something like that. We'd have we'd have fun. But it was the country club setting in Columbus was was a nice nice place to grow up with a lot of junior golfers, and of course we had the Southern Open in Columbus, Georgia as well as well as the Southeastern Amateur, which was the large, one of the largest amateur events in the, in the country at that time. Uh, I mean, all the best players, Crenshaw and Kite, and all those guys would come to the Southeastern Amateur. And so we had a chance to check on them. Uh, and we had, uh, you know, great amateur players that came out of the, uh, Columbus, Georgia, as well. Uh, and then my family, we moved to Tallahassee, Florida when I was 16 years old. And uh, so, Basically, just kept going this what I had learned from Columbus as far as playing with my, my uh, teammates and, and just learning how to hone my game and just never let anybody beat me, basically.
1: Very good. Uh, Brian, why don't you uh, start with Jack's early years for us? One,
3: two. Sure, all right. Yeah, Jack Nicholas. Um, well, Jack Nicholas he come out of Columbus, Ohio, and he started golfing when he was 10 years old. Um, Shortly afterwards, he started working with golf pro Jack Grout, who was one of the better golfers at that time. Um, Age 12, he ended up winning the Ohio State junior title, and he went on to win five more of those titles. Uh, At age 14, he was able to get his first tournament hole-in-one. In In all, Nicholas ended up winning 27 events in in the Ohio area from age 10 to age 17. He also became the first golfer to win the NCAA championship and a U.S. Uh, amateur in the same season. So a uh, uh, tremendous very uh, beginning to the career for uh, Jack Nicholas. What I had found very
1: interesting about Jack, his father was a pharmacist, and Jack, he goes to Ohio State. He graduates with a, a degree in pharmacy. His plan was actually to wasn't to be a golfer it was to be a pharmacist and we're talking about possibly the you know arguably the greatest golfer of all time he could have been you know just dispensing some medications so I I find that uh, just a incredible story Um, you know and he also was an NCAA basketball champion which was pretty interesting uh, to find out about him Um, it's one of the things I like when we do these shows is yeah, we know the we know the golfer. We know what he's done on the course and some things outside the course. But looking back at the beginning where they came from, there's a lot of times stories that we don't know about these guys. And I just think that's a, a really exciting thing. Um, Kenny, we got Jack and Arnie behind us. Was there one that you maybe looked up to a little more or, you know, one of these guys, your idols, maybe?
2: Well, you know, back in those days, I mean, Arna was the king, like I said, and then Jack came along uh, about when I was in – in 1965 is when I started playing golf. And so at that time, they were both playing, you know, great golf as well, uh, competing against each other. And uh, those were the two main guys that we looked at. They were 10 years apart. Uh, And so it was interesting to – Arna was the first guy that you really, you know, you know, he was the guy that the, the guy with all the charisma, and when Jack came out, he he was more, uh, you know, physique-wise, he was a lot heavier and uh, maybe not as sharply dressed and all the, those things that Arnold had, and, and didn't didn't have necessarily the charisma that Arnold had at that time. Uh, however, Jack's image changed dramatically. Uh, he he had the same uh, management group. Uh, IMG, uh, International Management Group, out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, started ma- uh, managing Jack as well. And so uh, the uh, the great uh, manager that they had, Mark, uh, well, I can't think of his last name right this moment. Maybe one of you guys know that. But uh, I'll think of it as we go. That's one of the problems you have when you get a little bit older. And so uh, he managed them quite well, managed their time. Of course, Jack was – was, you know, Arnold was the world traveler with his airplanes and and Lear jets and things like that. And uh, Jack was more, uh, he would limit himself to the amount of tournaments that he would play uh, because he wanted to be with his family more often. So he would only play about 20, 21 tournaments a year, whereas Arnold would play quite a few more than that and would play around the world. Mark McCormick, by the way, was the IMG, uh, the head of IMG at that time, the, the great manager. Uh, that Arnold and Jack both had Mark McCormick. And he's, uh, very well known for, for all the, all his contributions to the game of golf, but they were two different type personalities in my opinion. Uh, and I had some great experiences with both of them. Uh, more Jack than Arnold. Arnold was a little bit older, obviously. And, and, uh, but, but I had, you know, it was fun to play golf with those guys and, and see, you know, how they did things. Uh, I remember the first time I did see Arnold Palmer, who at that time was definitely my my hero. Uh, he was larger than life, even though he wasn't a tall, strapping man. He he had unbelievable uh, features about him, and and literally, I thought he was almost like a gold statue when I first saw him. And, and so, uh, it, it was. I always stuck my foot in my mouth every time I saw Arnold. It, it was just. It was just. I was always just uh, dumbfounded and starstruck, I guess, when I saw Arnold. Now with Jack, it was a little bit easier because I—I I don't know, maybe because he was a little bit younger. I don't know, but uh, I was fortunate, you know, I was able to spend a lot of time with Jack and play a lot of golf with Jack. So maybe we were just better friends than Arnold was friends to everybody with everybody. Jack was more, you know, at that time, you know, he he was the world's greatest golfer and it surpassed Arno, all of Arnold's records that he had. And so, uh, but but it was good to get to know both of them. And, but I spent a long time with Jack and got to know him much better than Arnold.
1: Steven, a lot of equipment has gone through your hands through the years. The, the clubs that these guys were playing with back in the 60s are a lot different than what they play with today. So, how good would these guys be playing with today's equipment? Would they be able to to compete with the, the, let's say the Dustin Johnson's and the the Tiger woods of the world.
0: In your opinion. I don't know if you could really call it competing. Um, whenever I I think they'd still be blowing them out of the water because yeah, (laughs) back then you're right. Wood wood clubs, you're, you're not getting the distance. You, You don't have the impact zones that today's clubs have. Um, Yeah, so you you definitely don't have the sweet spots, you know, that the clubs back then did. So I I think if they were playing in today's game, they'd be even better than they were back then, which that's really saying something.
1: Yeah, because if you look at their records, a lot of them still stand today. So imagine if they got these clubs that can hit the ball 400 yards and specialized balls like
4: today. So,
1: Kevin, let's – Let's move into personal accolades.
4: Uh, uh, real quick, uh, sorry, but uh, yeah, just wanted to add one thing. You know, just kind of piggyback off what you were just talking about. I mean, Palmer's average drive was about two hundred and sixty-nine yards back then, and that was eighth on, on the tour um, for distance-wise. I mean, nowadays people are driving one hundred and twenty yards past that, but with Palmer's strength that he had like he easily would probably be driving the same distance, maybe a little farther. He would actually topple over sometimes because he had hit the ball so hard. Um, but I wanted to point out too that uh, for Jack Nicholas's uh, early years, you know, he first met Palmer uh, when he was age 14. Uh, and Palmer was actually 24. It was at the, I believe it was the Ohio Open. And Nicholas had said uh, he was watching Palmer on the driving range and saw Palmer just cranking like nine iron shots. And uh, he went into the clubhouse and asked, you know, who is that guy on the range? And uh, the guy said, that's our returning champion, Arnold Palmer. And the kid was like, wow, like he was, Nicholas was like in, in awe. But then later on, Nicholas was like, he, he would come out and say, was I ever really in awe of Arnold Palmer? Probably not. <laughs> so he wasn't, I mean, he, he probably did look up to him. But, you know, when he got older, he didn't want to admit that. <laughs>
1: Well, th- these guys were good friends. We'll get into that later, of course. But uh, just to add something on that distance before you go into the accolades, Kevin, uh, I, Nicholas told the story, I, I believe it was a, actually at Arnold's funeral, told the story how in 1963, the two of them both drove a ball 330 yards. And that was, you know, outstanding for, for that time period. So um, they, they could definitely hit the ball. Um, so, Kevin, go ahead and start out with Jack,
4: okay? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we already talked about his early, you know, career when he was growing up as a kid going into college, but this man has won 18 major championships, uh, 73 uh, wins on the tour, which is third all-time. He won nine on the European tour, three on uh, the Australia-Asia tour, 10 PGA Tour champions, um, he has six Masters titles, um, five PGA Championship titles, four U.S. Open titles, and three uh, Open Championship titles. I mean, this man's career is, besides Tiger Woods, I mean, he's probably the best golfer. Um, with with Palmer up there too with him, you know, he's had many accolades. He got. World Golf of Hall of Fame in 1974, Um, PGA Tour leading money winner eight times, player of the year five times, and he's won many other awards. He also received uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005 um, and a Congressional Gold Medal in 2015. I mean, his career speaks for itself. I mean, he has many awards. He's done many things off the course. You can't say enough good things about this guy in his career and in his personal life.
1: Kenny, that's something that comes up a lot of times nowadays. Has Tiger surpassed Jack? Um, what are what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I, I certainly think Tiger has had a almost an equal career as Jack had. Uh, I mean, Tiger also uh, didn't play many more than twenty events a year, so he he won a lot of golf tournaments for for a limited schedule like he had. Uh, but I will, you know, I've got a lot of comments about the questions that were raised earlier. You know, Jack, in my opinion, I was playing with Walker Emman at Scioto, uh back in 1982. And Walker was the head pro for Jack Nicklaus, uh at Siota, where Jack grew up. And he was showing me the places that Jack was driving the ball when he was a teenager. And it was, it was, he was driving par fours. It was unfathomable, you know, how far he could hit the golf ball with equipment that we, that we had to play with back in those days, especially what those guys had to play with. And going back to the first time Jack saw Arnold hit a golf ball, he actually heard him before he saw him because of the noise that, that Arnold was making with the golf ball coming off of the club face. And that's much like what people say about Tiger Woods when they first see or hear Tiger hit a golf ball. Is the way the ball sounded when they first heard him. And I remember when Tiger first came out on tour, we had an exhibition match uh in Quad Cities and and he was out driving me with the two-iron. And the, the noise that, you know, it was incredible how far he could hit the golf ball. And and so uh I did manage to take him to the to eighth hole out of nine-hole match, uh, and and he and Andrew McGee went to the last hole and and uh, Tiger beat Andrew in the last hole there on the ninth hole. But it was a fun match, and it was a good memory for me. But but just there's so many great memories about uh, what those two gentlemen did in the game of golf, the ambassadors that they were for the game of golf, and the standard they, that they set uh, in, in how to handle yourself. Uh, Arnold always told everybody that, that you got to know him is make sure that, that people can read your autograph. Uh, it's is very important that they can read your autograph and always look them in the eye when you talk to them. And he would always drop a little things like that along the way to to help the young guys to, in, you know, improve their image on the, on the tour. And Jack, of course, never turned down an interview in his life and Arnold never turned down an autograph in his life. And so uh, I don't think anybody's ever done more for the game of golf than those two gentlemen have. And, and... Of course Arnold was known for the guy that we all owe we should be paying, you know, if he didn't already if he hadn't already had so much money at the time, we should have been all been paying him a percentage of our checks because of what he did for the television revenues and and the money that was brought into the PJ tour through sponsorships. And everybody wanted to be associated with Arno Palmer and then Jack Nicholas. So and
1: with Jack, some more records. I mean, he has the most top ten finishes at Augusta. Uh, with 22, and he also has a record for most cuts made uh, there with 37. Yeah, um, set a, a record at the Masters, 1965 Masters, with a, a record of 271. I mean, that's yeah, that's a pretty good tournament.
3: Let me get let me get 30 seconds real quick here. Yeah, I yeah, no, no, of, go ahead. Yeah, I did I did a little bit of math on Jack Nicklaus's statistics um, uh, for majors. He had 56 top fives um, in his career, 70, 73 top tens. So out of the 164, um, matches that he, that he uh, was in, that was for top five, 34% of the time he took top five. I mean, that's, that's a tremendous percentage. And then 45% of the time he took top 10. So pretty much half the time when you turned on, uh, you know, a, a major on TV at that, during that time, you're going to see him finish in the top 10. Uh, that that's a that's just a, a tremendous rate. I mean, compared to some, like you know, I've looked at some of the other guys, some of the other golfers, and and that that's up there with you know the all time greats. That's an incredible stat. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, he, he was so big, he was on Time Magazine back in 1962. Uh, which you know, at that time period, if you're on Time Magazine, that's a that's a huge accomplishment. Um, Kevin mentioned, you know, the, the 73 tour victories and the, the, the 10 tour championship victories. Um, he's got 20 international victories as well. Um, something I like to look at is, like, golf is a very pressured sport. You know, a lot of pressure playing golf. So I like looking at playoff records. He's 13 and 10 uh, with his playoff record. That You know, that's pretty good to be above 500 in playoffs because sudden death, that's one-on-one. And everybody's watching, so it's definitely a, a tough event to do that. Um, so let's move on to Arnold and uh, and his
3: personal accolades. Brian, you want to start that one out? Sure. I mean, uh, Arnold he uh, gets seven major championships, so that that's pretty good. Uh, he ended up with sixty seven PGA Tour wins. That's just uh, just six under uh, Nicholas. Uh, top five, he was able to get twenty six. Uh, times in the top five, top 10. He was able to get 38 times in the top, uh, in the top 10. Now, as far as those percentages I just referred to, his percentages were significantly lower than Nicholas's. Um, we're looking at 18% for top five and 27% for top 10. Um, but he did have a, he did have a, um, a streak of 26 consecutive uh, cuts made, which was very impressive. He had a top 10 streak of six, uh, six, uh, uh, majors in a row of being in the top ten, um, and he, uh, he he won the uh, uh, senior major five times, um, you know, and, and then he was also a very maybe even a more commercial um, uh, type of, of legacy than than Nicholas. Uh, you know, he had the, he had the Arnold, Arnold Palmer tee, you know, that that big uh, big endorsement there. So um, as far as from a popularity standpoint, he probably has the edge on Nicholas in that regard. Yeah, and and his playoff record is. 12 and
1: 9, so he, he's above 500 on that as well. Kenny, I, I, I wanted to ask you because I know um, 1999, the Buick, was it the Buick
2: Southern you were in? 1990, 1990. Or,
1: uh, sorry, yeah, 1990, yeah, yeah. Buick Southern tournament. You went into, I believe it was a double
2: playoff, correct? A uh, uh, two hole playoff.
1: Two hole playoff, yes. Yeah. So what, what, What's going through your head when, when when something like that's going on? Like, what are these guys looking at when they're in their playoff holes?
2: Yeah, so that was uh, I believe that was my that was my first playoff on the PJ tour. Uh, so uh, Jim Hallett and I had tied uh, and went into a playoff uh, starting on the tenth hole, which was a short leg right uh, at Green Island Country Club, and we both hit uh, drives out there. Uh, and uh, I hit first and I hit it about 12 feet short of the hole and he hit next and hit about six feet of the hole and so I felt like I had to make that putt to, to extend the playoff and I buried that putt, which was a great feeling and then I'm saying, well, now that I've made it, you know, there's a good chance I'll win the tournament here but my mindset was uh, I, I had already won two tournaments up to that point so I kind of knew what to expect as far as winning golf tournaments, but uh, I, I didn't look past uh, that moment. And uh, he knocked his putt in uh, to go uh, to the the next hole, the eleventh hole, as it was the toughest hole on the golf course. Uh, and so it was leg left, and then the green was back over the right. And we both hit pretty good drives. Uh, he he knocked on the green. I hit it about 20 feet to the left of the flag with a 5-iron. And uh, the greens at Green Island were very grainy greens. Uh, I'll never forget. Uh, of course, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. That's where the tournament was in Columbus, Georgia. So I used to caddy in that tournament. Uh, I caddied there three years in a row when I was 14, 15, and 16 years old. Home field and, advantage. Um, That's
1: not
4: fair. <laughs>
2: yeah, you're exactly right. There was a tremendous advantage here. And we played high school matches out there and, and different inter-club matches and things like that. So I did know the golf course a little bit, but he missed his putt on the on the second playoff hole and, and I had left a rider with the grain. So I, I thought I missed a putt. I hit a good putt. I thought I missed it low, but somehow it held it held its line and, and caught the bottom lip and fell in. And so uh, that was that was my and I'm 500 in playoffs. I won that playoff, and then I lost the playoff the following year in 1991 at the uh, Michelob uh, in in Kings Mill and to Mike Holbert. Uh, and that was pretty much a, a playoff that, that should never have happened. Uh, uh, but it, it did happen, and it was kind of in the dark. And that's not an excuse at all, because I, I actually wanted to go play in the dark because I was thinking, literally thinking that, you know, Mike were glasses and they were dark glasses and they they you know I was thinking in my mind you know let's go play let's play here before you know right at dusk because uh it may affect his vision uh so I was looking at for any advantage I could get I was 21 under par for the first until the last nine holes and I shot two over par on the last nine holes and shoot 19 under par for the, the championship and and I bogeyed the last hole So I didn't have the momentum going into the playoff, but I felt like it was an advantage to play at that time of the evening. Uh, And I ended up hitting a bad drive. I made bogey in the hole, almost made a putt in the dark, but missed it, and he made a nice putt to win the championship. So playoffs are are tricky, and you look at a great Jack Nicklaus or Arnold Palmer, you think they should be 20-0 in playoffs because just the intimidation factor alone would would, uh, eliminate their their competitor. But – Playoffs are so different, and it is 101, and you're not playing the rest of the field. So anything can happen in playoffs. And I remember, I, I believe it was Lee Elder that took uh, Jack Nicholas on, a, on a, about a nine-hole playoff one time. And I think I'm uh, pretty sure that Lee won the the playoff. But uh, one of the records that were not mentioned was how many times Jack Nicholas finished second place in in major championships. And I believe that was in the 30s. I mean, he, he really racked up a lot of second place finishes and of course one of the most famous ones was at Pebble Beach in 1982 when Tom Watson chipped in on 17 and then birdied 18 and beat Jack by two shots Uh, but anyway that that's a phenomenal record there in and of itself is to finish second but those two guys they had two different ball flights Arna was a more penetrating boring type shot uh, a flatter ball flight I mean his drives probably didn't get over 75, 80 feet high at, at its apex. And Jack was a much you know, higher ball flight with uh, a, a soft fade coming down. But Jack could Jack bust it out there pretty good. I've got some great stories on both those guys.
1: Steven, should we be measuring these players by their majors or by their total tour victories? What, what, what do you think is more important?
0: Honestly, um, I, I don't think you can really measure it because they're, they're two different players. Like, a, as was mentioned, you know, um, one plays a lot more, one plays a lot less. So can you really compare them in that sense if you're looking at them all versus just looking at the majors? Um, so, yeah, that, that stuff called me personally. I, I'd say more majors because that's what – you know, there a majority of them are going to be playing in.
3: Okay, you know, and uh, something
1: I, I forgot to mention earlier with Jack, and I think it's important to point out, he had polio when he was 13, and he overcame that, and uh, you know that that affected a lot of people back in the day, and that's a, a huge thing to overcome. I mean, obviously we have we have COVID out here right now, you know vaccines for that going on. But everybody was getting the polio vaccine back in the day. And uh, to have that at such a young age, I'm sure that was uh, a stressful time for, for him and his family. Um, so, Kevin, any, anything you want to add on the the, the accolades?
4: Uh, Arnold Palmer also got the same two medals that um, Nicholas got, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, like Congressional Gold Medal. But um, you had mentioned the playoff record. I actually saw where uh, Palmer was actually 14 and 10. Uh, in the playoffs, um, playoff rounds. Um, But, I mean, as far as kind of touching base on the question you asked, Stephen, yeah, I mean, obviously people people remember the the major championships more than they win. They remember you just winning, like, the Honda Classic or something. You know, like – The major championships stick out to people, unfortunately. I think when you're looking at these two golfers because they're household names, like very well, you know, renowned golfers, you know, biggest names in the sport. Like you also got to look at the overall picture too, I feel like, of what they've done for the sport as well. Shouldn't just go based on just wins also.
1: Right. And I I look at it too. I mean, I know – I know how important majors are. I, I get that. The green jacket, of course, you know. It was,
4: green jacket, gold
1: jacket. <laughs> green jacket, gold jacket. You know, it's one of the most famous things out there, obviously, the green jacket when it comes to golf. But what makes those courses or, or that particular tournament any harder than the other tournaments to win, you know? So, yeah, you want the majors. I get that. But I, I think those individual victories at the other courses are 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 highly important as well. Um, so I'll just throw that out there. Um, you know, this is golf's greatest rivalry. So it's hard to determine who's better, you know, at one thing or another, because these just, we're, we're talking all time greats. You know, it, it's our it's our Gretzky Lemieux. if you're looking hockey, it's our Brady Manning. If you're looking football, you know, this is, this is the golf one right here, you know, it's as big as it gets. So, um, so let's look at uh, just just real briefly at the team play. Brian, I know you had something on the Ryder Cup.
3: Right, right. Well, um, yeah. Both uh, uh, Nicholas and uh, and Palmer both had seven Ryder Cup. Uh, were both part of seven Ryder Cup winning teams. Um, 1969 um, was a very memorable Ryder Cup for Nicholas. Very famous one because, and very controversial because he actually was in a, a playoff uh, with uh, with Tony Jacklin, um, and he ended up uh, he shot he shot over on his on his eagle attempt, and he he went ahead and he putted his eagle attempt or his uh, his birdie attempt in and made it and he picked up Jacklin's ball and conceded Jacklin's putt. Which would, which would have, you know, tied it up and forced another playoff. He conceded that. And the, the, the British, they felt like this was a, you know, a uh, very nice way of showing sportsmanship, um, you know, just saying, hey, let's end this, you know, let's end this as a draw. But the Americans, um, Sam Steed in particular, was very angered by this and, and felt it was just ridiculous. Why would you want to, you know, give away the chance at a win? Because, I mean, there was an off chance that maybe Jacqueline misses that putt. And, and, and you continue on. So, um, uh, but, yeah, but Nicholas, he was he was great in his, in his Ryder Cup. So was Palmer. Um, and then getting into the World Cup, Nicholas, he had seven World Cup uh, wins and Palmer had six. So they were both part of many, many championship teams in team play. If we're going to talk about team play, I think it's
1: important to mention that these two actually paired up for doubles golf a couple times I got um, – they won the team championship together in 1966. That was the, playing together for the very first time. They, they go out and they win the tournament. I mean, who in 1966, who wants to take on Palmer and Nicholas? And then they won again in 70 and 71. Um, so, you know, that's
3: that's pretty good. Right. right. That, that 1966 one, they actually won that by 13 strokes over their opponent. So, I mean, they just <laughs> smoked – just blew them out of the water. <laughs>
1: Kenny in, in those in those team games like that, like what what is like the 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 difference in you maybe the thought process going into that than than a regular playing individual type round?
2: Well, first of all, you gotta pick you gotta pick a really good partner. <laughs> and I think they both had really good partners. But uh, that that's the first that's the first rule of of team comp competition is make sure you're a good, good partner, but you gotta have it was kind of unusual that they did pair together because they had two different type of games and two different personalities. Uh, uh, You know, Jack was the methodical uh, high percentage golfer. And Arno was the, let's just call him a swashbuckler or however you want to call it. Uh, He would, the gopher broke the chart. I mean, he has golf courses named after the charger at Bay Hill. And he was the charger. He was the guy that came from behind. He was a guy that was, would never give up. He was, you know, he was the, uh, you know, the the white-collar guy from from Latrobe, and, and Nicholas was a guy that, that just, you know, played a different game than everybody, really. I mean, and I don't – honestly, I don't, if Jack had the equipment that these guys have today that we can play today, I don't really think anyone could have ever beat him, other than the fact he did have one weakness, and that was – that was his chipping was not the best part of his game. And it was by far not the best part of his game. But the thing is, he hit about 15 greens every round. And he had to chip the most on par fives for his third shots, you know. So, but as far as competition, I think the fact that they paired together, they were such good friends, even though they were such competitors, you know. Arnold's Army and and Fat Jack, you know, when – they called him Fat Jack when he came out because he was competing against everybody's favorite player, Arnold Palmer. And so, you know, for them to pair up, I think that's the reason they did pair up was, was the fact that they wanted to show that, that uh, what golf was all about. And as well as having the same manager, that helped too as well. But going back to uh, the, the, the concession with Nicholas and Jacqueline, you know that was such an important moment in golf that they actually built a golf course together and named it the concession and so it's a, it's a very good golf course down in uh on the on the south, southwest part of florida and so uh but it's it was all about it it was all about getting the two world's greatest golfers together at the time and i I can't. I find it hard to believe that they would even play in the Walt Disney World Team Championship. To be honest with you, because they both played limited schedules. Arnold played more, but Jack would play such limited schedules. But I think it was a great, great idea. I remember when it happened. I loved it. I mean, your two favorite players playing together, and nobody could beat them. They were you had the king and the bear, and so it was. It was. It was a great thing for Golf, and and I think that's what Jack did for Golf, and Arnold did. Jack was always. Arnold was so great at promoting golf and such a great ambassador that Jack had his own own way of promoting golf and that concession to Tony Jackman was one of them and he really wasn't concerned about uh, winning or losing so much as as the sport of the game and Jack was always having lost the major championships 30 or more times. He was always the most gracious loser ever and the greatest winner ever.
4: I think he's... Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, real quick, just to kind of jump off of what he said about Arnie's army. Um, I want to say it was the Oakmont Country Club, um, uh, one of the rounds when Nicholas and, and uh, Palmer were facing off against each other. Palmer actually had later out, uh, came out and said that him and his caddy actually said that the way that the fans were treating Nicholas during that actually made them feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, so Arnold didn't want, you know, the fans to do that to, to Jack during the rounds. But they would, they, like like Kenny said, like they harassed Nicholas like crazy. And like you said, Fat Jack, that was one of the things that they would call him and try to distract him. And they would hold up signs like saying, hit the ball here, like, and they were off in the, the rough. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they definitely went after Jack, uh, especially in his hometown when he played at Oakmont. Um, but Arnold was against that and did him and his caddy did speak out against that so it made him feel uncomfortable.
1: I think they, uh, I think they just want to play together. Cause they were, they were such good friends. I mean, these guys' wives were even friends. I, I, I read a story. I think Arnold had said it, that, uh, you know, when him and Jack would get into maybe like a little, you know, a little argument or fight with one another, it was their wives who would like reel them in and be like, you know, come on, you guys are friends, you know? So that's it. They had a, a really, really close relationship and, and, uh, you know, we haven't seen that in other debates that we have had. Obviously, you know, a show not too long ago, we had Sidney Crosby versus Alex Ovechkin. That's just a rivalry on the ice. They're not friends off the ice, you know. Um, Manning and Brady, they, they seem to get along, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not close friends like these guys were. So
4: uh, yeah, They were just in that recent golf tournament with uh, Mickelson and, and Woods.
1: Yeah, they, they were, yeah, for charity, absolutely. Um, hey, let, Michael, let me tell a quick
2: story if you if I can. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'd like to tell the story about 1987, which was my second Masters, and Jack and I played practice rounds in the Masters and all the major championships pretty much uh, in 86. Uh, he, he was gracious enough to let me play with him, and it was either 87 or 88, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, so – Jack and I and Greg Norman were going to play a practice round at Augusta and I was hitting balls getting ready to you know to go out and play and usually Jack and I would play Greg Norman and somebody else uh, another one of his friends and so uh, as I was hitting balls I heard this applause and I looked back and I saw Arnold walking through there with a sweater draped over his shoulders you know kind of tied at the bottom with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and and just that just that you know, charisma that he had, and the and the crowd was going crazy. And I, I said to my cat, I said, "Boy, I've never played with Arnold, but well, it'd be great someday to play with Arnold Palmer, you know, before he gets, you know, where he doesn't know who I am or whatever." But anyway, he wasn't that old. He, I guess, he was probably fifty-six or seven at that time, probably. Uh, and so he's fifty-seven, I think he was, or fifty-eight, which is younger than I am now. So, uh, but anyway, at that time, I thought he was the old guy. But about five minutes later, Jack came over and said, hey, Kenny. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, listen, so-and-so dropped out. Do you mind if Arnold joins us today? <laughs> and so I said, well, that'd be fine with me. And so uh, I got all excited and got nervous and everything. And we went to the first tee. And so, like I said, Jack and I would always play uh, Greg Norman and somebody. So I'm just assuming it's going to be that way that we got on the tee. And of course, Jack had just won the Masters the year before, right? And so, uh, you know, he was still pretty good, even at 47. And, and so we all looked at each other and said, well, who's going to play who? And I went, and Jack says, well, he looked at Arnold and said, hey, the old guys are going to play the young guys. So that was, we, we swished it up, and it was a lot of fun. We had a great day, and I know that I really hated it when Arnold stopped because I'd run into the back of him, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was, it was such a thrill to play with Arnold Palmer because I knew Jack pretty well at that time. And, and I was kind of used to playing with him. But to play with Arnold and ask him all the stupid questions, and stick my foot in my mouth every time I opened my mouth around Arnold was, was very embarrassing. But I didn't care because it was just like that little puppy following that, that big dog around all day. So that was a great story for me and great memories.
1: Nice, That's excellent. All right, before we go into our vote, let's uh, break out tonight's trivia question. Gotta be a member of the Facebook group to win. Um, Previous winners are still ineligible. So if you know the answer, just put it in the comments section in the Facebook group. In the movie Tin Cup, what was Roy's shot total on the 18th hole on the last day of the US Open tournament? What professional golfer was part of the trio he played with? And what club did Roy play an entire back nine with during the first qualifying round? So if you got all three answers, We'll get you that prize mailed out to you. All right, let's move on to our vote. We're gonna pick between one of these legends here. You know, uh, Kevin. Even though you're in, you know, last day, Tiger Red. I'm gonna, I'm coming to you first. <laughs> Who are you taking and why?
4: Uh, um, you know, uh, two of the greatest golfers ever play the game. You know. Um, you have one that basically put golf on the television map and, you know, made it the sport that it is today. And then you have another one that, that came in and then dominated and broke all of Palmer's records. Um, well, I don't know if it was all, but most of the records, but, um, you know, I got Palmer, Palmer said that, uh, when he lost that U S open victory to Nicholas, um, for The second time in five years, in, in nineteen sixty seven, that was the biggest disappointment uh, of his of his life, pretty much. Um, and I love Honor Palmer. I love his drink, and he's a hometown boy. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Nicholas, uh, he's he's definitely got the hardware uh, to put himself on top. So I'm gonna have to pick Nicholas.
1: So I look at this as In my opinion, Jack is the greatest golfer of all time. I think he's better than Tiger. You know, maybe a Tiger's career not hit that bubble years back. Maybe he would have surpassed him. But in my opinion, it's still Jack. Jack is the best. But that being said, the show is Legacy Battle. The legacy of Arnold Palmer is greater than that of Jack's because he, as you said, Kevin, is the one that put golf on our TV's. Um you know Jack took the ratings up even more of course their their rivalry took the ratings up even more but Arnold was really the one that he was a national icon I mean everybody knew Arnold Palmer you know he he made golf he took golf to the next level same same thing Tiger Woods ended up doing you know 90s took golf to another level of course um so I'm voting for Palmer. Steven, you're up.
0: So you mentioned legacy, right? And you are right. I mean, Arnold did make himself a a household name. However, Palmer comes and he breaks most of his records. So right there, he's also leaving behind a fantastic legacy in the golf world. So both of these men left fantastic, you know, legacies behind just in different senses. Um, But honestly, I, I got to go with Kevin on this one. I got to go with Jack. Okay,
3: Brian. Well, one one thing that Nicholas was quoted as saying was that their rivalry got to the point to where folks weren't really always worried about who won the tournament. They were worried about who did better in the tournament, Jack or Arnie, Uh, just to give you an idea like how important this rivalry was. Uh, The rivalry, rivalry itself lifted golf up I mean, yes, Palmer started it, but I don't, I don't think that that Palmer gets to that same level if he doesn't have the rivalry with Jack. Uh, and then when you look at the statistics, that that sort of thing, it's heavily in favor of Nicholas. So I'm going to go with Nicholas on this one. Okay, Kenny, who are you taking?
2: Okay, here we go. <laughs> so Arnold Palmer was known as the king, right? So much like Richard Petty was known as a king in, in NASCAR, Arnold Palmer was the man that set the standard. He's the guy that that uh, was the greatest personality, the, the, the greatest uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he's made golf what it is today, in my opinion. Uh, had tremendous records, had... Uh, more fans than anybody around the world. Uh, uh, definitely more air miles than anybody else besides Gary Player, and uh, so you got to put him right there. But but much like Richard Petty, you know, you had Dale Earnhardt and all the other guys come along, and uh, you know to beat his records. And so Jack Nicklaus was, without question, the greatest golfer to ever live. And it's just a shame that. Uh, that Tiger Woods did not get a chance to play golf with Jack Nicklaus when he was in his prime because I think it would have been a, a great match when they were both in their prime. Uh, they could both slash it out of the rough and, and with accuracy into a pin from 180 yards, which is the reason they won as many majors as they won uh, in British Opens and U.S. Opens and PGA's. Uh, obviously, no, there's no rough in the Masters to speak of. But that was a golf course that was, that was one more on carry than anything else. And Jack and Tiger could carry the ball uh, better than anybody else. Uh, Arno was just had the fans behind him. And I think the fans carried him along the way so, so often. And that devastating loss at the Masters, a devastating loss he had at, at Olympic uh, Club in, in San Francisco, uh, the playoff with uh, Billy Casper. Uh, when, he, when he blew a seven-shot lead on the back nine. Uh, you know, Arnold lost some tournaments he should have won. Jack lost a few he should have won, but Jack won more tournaments. So having said all that, uh, Jack Nicholas was the greatest player to ever live, and, and I don't think Tiger is going to beat him out. Uh, and frankly, as much as I like Tiger and, and admire his golf game, uh, I hope no one ever beats Jack Nicholas for greatest golfer ever. There you
1: have it four to one Jack Nicholas beats Arnold Palmer. Nice job guys. All right, let's move into our Q and a with Kenny. We're going to ask him a couple questions. Um, Kevin, you got a nice grin on, so why don't don't you go first?
4: I was happy because I I actually beat you this time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so now Kenny, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos on online of the different types of golfers. <laughs> it, it's like a, it's like kind of like a, a comedy type thing where like, you know, you got the angry golfer that like throws his clubs and you got the one that makes up excuses and stuff. Um, but that being said, golf, I, I feel is a very highly mental game. Like if you're not in it mentally, like you're going to make shots that just really make you upset. So Kind of go through like how you how would you prepare for like a, a tournament coming up? Like what what would you do leading up to, to the, the tournament starting?
2: Yeah, so it, it's uh it's what we do, it's a, you know, we're professionals, it's it's our job, it's what we did or what I did, not what I do now. But uh, it's all about routine. Uh, your routine is very consistent, uh, you, you don't want any inconsistencies in your life. You, you basically uh, trying to eat the same foods all the time. Uh, you find something that works, you stick with it. Uh, but the learning how to calm your mind is the key factor to winning championships. And we all talk about getting in the zone. Uh, you, you, no one could ever be in the zone all the time. But uh, I think that's one reason that Jack and Tiger won as many tournaments as they did. And they're two greatest golfers ever is because their ability to focus uh, when, when the time came that not to mention the fact that uh, if whoever was leading they look they looked in the leaderboard and saw those two guys coming after them uh, they would tend to falter down the down the stretch and jack uh, i know won a lot of golf tournaments from behind and i believe tigers won a lot as well uh it's a little easier to actually come from behind than it is to be a front runner many times so uh you really have to stay focused anything can happen in golf a, a you know, a bad break where you, you think you've hit a perfect shot and it buries under the lip of the bunker or, you know, or hits a sprinkle head, goes over the green into, you know, a ditch or a creek or something. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. You you have to be prepared. You know, I'll never forget uh, when I won my second golf tournament. Uh, I was coming down the last hole with Gil Morgan and and I had a, a, a one-shot lead and uh, we both hit nice drives. He pushed his second shot in the right bunker. And I hit my shot about 30 feet short of the hole. And so I'm thinking, you know, at first I'm thinking, okay, I got this. And then I said, no, listen, this guy's a great bunker player. He can hold it out. He can do anything. Well, he blasted his ball out on the French. And I had a 20-foot – he had a 20-foot putt. And I'm thinking, now I got this. All I got to do is two-putt. And then I said, no, you got you to you keep focusing. You got to keep fighting that mental thing. And so uh, I hit a putt up there about five feet short of the hole and lo and behold, he makes his putt. But in the meantime, I had almost lost the Honda classic the year before because I missed a short putt on the last hole. So I never let my mind wander away from, no matter whether he makes his putt or not, I've got to make this putt. And so when he made his, I, I literally had to make it to win the golf tournament. And so, uh, I did make it. I won the golf tournament. Didn't have to go to playoff with a really fine player uh, who, and so that's that's the bottom line of focus.
3: Brian, go ahead. Uh, well, Kenny, you're known for your superior putting ability. Um, how were you able to develop that part of your game? Um, and, and how did you get it to such a high level?
2: It's really very interesting because when I was a junior golfer, I won a lot of golf tournaments in my age bracket and things like that. And of course went on to play college golf at Florida state and win tournaments. Uh, I, I always, I think it's a, a mindset of y- your, your mind overcomes, uh, maybe some flaws in your stroke or, or, and, and you just basically learn how to will the ball in the hole, never want to make a bogey. And so, uh that's pretty much the way I learned how. And then when I got out on tour, I was not a good putter at all. And I really struggled with my putting my first five years playing the tour. I, I, I would get my card, lose it, get my card, lose it, get my card, lose it kind of thing. And I was not known as a good putter. And I was actually a better ball striker than I was a putter when I first came out on tour. And so uh, finally, I was playing a practice round with Forrest Fesler in Abilene, Texas in in 1984, and it all it, he was using a long putter, so he had it anchored, and he was using that long putter back when it first came out in 84, 85, and and I said, let me just feel that, and I, I felt the release. I felt how the putter would release. You'd anchor it with your left hand, you'd release it with your right hand. So I started stroking the putter that way when you would release it with your right hand, and I started making putts, and that's how I started uh, uh, putting. And then in nineteen eighty-six I won my first tournament uh, and I I, I put great. I put it really well that week at the Honda Classic. And so it's just one little thing like that that can actually teach you how to do something you were not able to do uh, in the past or had never really done in the past. And then of course I went on to win. You know, people say, How do you only have eighteen putts in the round or eight or nine eight putts on nine holes? I said, Well, I was a very good chipper. So if you chip the ball close to the hole, if you make your first putt close to the hole you're tapping in a lot, it takes a lot of pressure off of having to make those three, four, five-foot putts. And, uh, you know, like C Mellick once said on the air, you know, the two things that don't last are, are, are dogs chasing cars and pros putting for pars. So you want to have those short putt, you know, par putts. Uh, and, and that's going to help build your confidence too. And when you get the birdie putts, I did lead the tour in birdies one year until the final tournament, uh, which was a, the tour championship. And I was 31st on the money list, so I didn't get in the tournament. Scott Hoke passed me on that. And I was not known as a good ball striker, but I would go for the flags because I was such a great chipper putter. I would either have it close to the hole and have a birdie putt, or I never had to worry about getting the ball up and down because I could really chip and make the putts. Steven, go ahead.
0: Well, unfortunately, there uh, Brian took my you know main question, but uh, no, you can you, you mentioned a big thing is uh, routines for golfers, and I know most golfers, especially me, we have a really bad shot, and then it, it tends to you know affect us for the next couple of shots. So, what what would you recommend to average golfers? Would you say to kind of forget about that last shot and move on?
2: Right. So you know. The routine is uh, ultimately important because it it, it basically learn you learn how to calm your nerves, first of all. And so the routine is good. Uh, You develop a a good routine, not one that's very long, but one that suits your your personality. Uh, Whether you stand behind the ball, take practice strokes behind the ball, or, you know, swings or whatever, you have to find what really works for you. I hardly ever took a practice swing in the fairway. I would get, you know, but I would – have a routine before I hit the golf ball and with putting always had a certain routine that I would do just to calm my nerves uh, to prepare my mind and then to you know take the deep breaths in through your nose and out your mouth to get oxygen to your brain because no matter what anybody says everybody's gonna be nervous and you have to learn how to deal with it properly and so when you can get the oxygen to your brain then you can think better and you you're more clear on that and so Therefore you're focused now as far as just getting up and whaling away at it. Like I tell my amateur partners, pro-am partners, you know, basically just swing hard in case you hit it because it's just, you know, they have no clue what they're doing. Most of the time, you obviously get some good players that, you know, that want to try to beat you in the pro-am, which was always fun. Uh, But uh Learning how to play golf is way more. And I I teach a lot of lessons. I've given 600 lessons last year. And so I teach a lot of lessons, mostly junior golfers, because that's where my passion is, is to train them and teach them what I learned and what I know about the game of golf and how I can get them golf scholarships and get them uh, a lifelong uh, road of of being able to play golf and the journey that they'll be going through. Because there's so many things in life that you can relate uh, in golf as well. And so that's what I would probably do if I had to give advice is what, find out what you're good at, whether you're a CEO of, of uh, IBM or if you're a CEO of the Custodians uh, of America. It doesn't matter what you are. Everybody does something good. And you, if, you can, if you can correlate that with your golf uh, mindset, then I think you can be successful in overcoming a lot of bad shots that you might have.
1: So we'll, we'll get you out of here with this question tonight. Um, I want to take it back to you mentioned earlier the 1986 Honda Classic. Um, oh, yeah. So you shot an 80 one day, and you're the first ever Monday qualifier to win on the PGA Tour. So I was maybe like tell us a little bit about that that tournament and how how you, how you could win shooting an 80.
3: That's how, amazing. How much time do we have? <laughs>
2: Yeah, first of all, the, the average score that day was 79.2,
0: oh, the world's okay. greatest golfers.
2: The wind was blowing uh, uh, steady 30 miles an hour, and the temperatures were in the, in the, in the low 50s, high 40s uh, in South Florida, believe it or not. And so uh, I, had, I was leading the golf tournament 66-71 so the first two rounds, so I had to lead the golf tournament. So obviously I was nervous. But I was hitting the ball great, I shot, I shot 38 on front nine, which was a really good score, with the way the wind was blowing. I mean, a 75 that day was really an exceptional round of golf. 72 was a low round of the day. Uh, Mike Reed and Clarence Rose shot 72 that day. Nobody broke par that day. And so, um, and then on the back nine, I was still playing pretty good. Um, and so, but then I started stumbling a little bit coming down the stretch. And I made double bogey once the cameras came on on Saturday on the on the uh, 14th hole. The cameras came on. I was in the front bunker, and I bladed it over the green and made double bogey on the hole. And then I started trying to just survive, get in survival mode there. And I was actually playing with Tom Weisskopf that day. He's at 87 that day. And so Tom Weiskopf, uh you know, well-known for his game of golf. And so it was a very difficult day. Uh, actually – after the round I shot 80 and I was still in fourth place in the golf tournament. And uh, and so the next day when I was waking up, I was hoping that it, it was raining so hard or or something that we couldn't even play that day because I didn't even want to go back out there that day. And it was just crazy. So, uh, but when I woke up, it was a beautiful, sunshiny day, the wind was blowing, it was still cool. Uh, still, you know, sweater or more weather. Uh, went out to the range and uh, had a late tee time, you know, next, last off. And I was hitting balls, and I was still hitting the ball good. I mean, I was just I had it right in the groove. I was really hitting the ball very, very well. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that went into it, but I'll, I'll never forget walking from the practice tee to the putting green. Uh, Chichi Rodriguez stopped me. And, uh, you know, hey, Pards, how you doing? And I said, doing great, Chichi. What are you up to? He said, hey, listen, you can still win this golf tournament. And I was like, wow, thanks, Cheech. I appreciate it. You know, that's awesome. And so then I went over the putting green and and I started practicing my putting. And Hubert Green was on the putting green. Well, he had missed the cut. But he was still – he was on the putting green on Sunday afternoon at, at one, 1 o'clock. And he says, Kenny, former Florida State player as well as myself, he said, you can win this golf tournament. And so my mindset all of a sudden started tracking on maybe I can win this golf tournament. And I went out and kind of got off to a decent start. I parred one and two, then I birdied three, four, and five, and so now I was back in the lead in the golf tournament. And so just that quick it happened, and then I just put on, you know, I had some good things happen on, on the seventh hole where I, I I hit a bunker shot and it went through the green and went down in the hazard. I and now I was forced dropping the ball back in the bunker and trying to save double bogey where I dropped the ball. And then as I got over the ball, I waggled once and said, just make it. Waggled twice, just make it. And the third time when I took it back, I said, just make it. And I splashed it out. It came out perfect and went in the hole for a bogey. And oh that one God. shot right there pretty much gave me all the fire I needed to just go out and win the golf tournament. End up shooting 70 that day and, and beat a, a lot of really, really good players, you know, uh, really great players. So I was very, very fortunate to win, but I had a lot of things happen that week. Uh, first time I'd ever played Max Fly golf ball was that week. I never, I got nine holes in a practice round, and that was all. Uh, and first time, uh, my first PJ Tour event with a, a set of pink copper beryllium I2s uh, that week, the combination of the golf clubs and the golf ball were the perfect combination for the way the wind blew that week and the weather we had. So it was it was a great week for me and it, it set the stage for the rest of my career. Uh, and so it was a much shorter career than I wanted, but it was six really good years and then the rest of it was all struggle stuff. We want to thank you for
1: your time and, and for joining us tonight. It was an honor to have you here and then talk about some of the good old days. I want to remind everybody to check out kennyknoxgolf.com, get all your golf accessories on there. It's a a fun website. I've been on there, and obviously that YouTube channel is help you work on your putts. Um, Lots of good tips on there. So also remember to join the Legacy Battle Facebook group and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So thank you and good night, everyone.